This episode is sponsored by Greenhouse. Greenhouse customizes, streamlines, and scales the hiring process for organizations of all sizes, helping to reduce bias, source the best talent, and create a more structured hiring process so you can hire for what's next. Visit greenhouse.io or search Greenhouse software to learn more. Welcome to Honest HR, the podcast for all of us HR professionals, people managers, and team leads intent on growing and developing our companies for the better. We bring you honest, forward-thinking conversations and relatable stories from the workplace that challenge the way it's always been done. Because after all, you have to push back to move forward. Honest HR is a podcast from SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management. And by listening, you're helping create better workplaces and a better world. I'm Wendy Fong. I'm Amber Clayton. And I am Gloria Sinclair Miller. Now let's get honest. So hello, everyone, and welcome back. I'm your host, Amber Clayton, Director of SHRM's Knowledge Center. On our episode today, we're going to start part one of our mini-series on the technical competency, HR expertise, talent acquisition, when good hires become bad employees. This podcast is approved to provide PDCs, but only if you listen to the full mini-series. I've been in HR for over 20 years, and during this time, I've hired hundreds of employees with many success stories and many not-so-great ones. I don't think there's anything more disappointing than when someone you thought would be a good hire turns out to be a bad employee. You ask yourself, you know, what did I miss when I hired them? They seem like the perfect fit. Today, we're actually going to discuss at a high level why this might happen and how to avoid it. SHRM's Ask an Advisor service gets tens of thousands of questions a year from members, and many of them are related to employee issues which is why I brought in two of our experts from the Knowledge Center as guests today. I'm pleased to be joined by Rosa Hardesty and Patty Graves, HR Knowledge Advisors. Thank you both for being here today. Thank you. Great. So let's first start by sharing with the audience your backgrounds. I obviously know who you are. I've been working with you for several years now. Patty, could you share with the audience what does the Knowledge Advisor do? And for those who are listening who may not be familiar with the Knowledge Center and what you do, and just tell us a little bit about how long you've been with SHRM and, and your background. Sure, I'd be happy to. So I've been with SHRM for 13 years. I've been in that role as an HR Knowledge Advisor for that time. And our main focus is to provide guidance to other HR professionals and our members on everyday HR issues and concerns that they might have. And, and Rosa, how about you? So I've been with SHRM for five years. And prior to that, um, my background was in hospitality, which was really fun. <laughs> and with that, I also had a lot of experience because I moved to quite a few, a handful of different states. So I got to experience a lot of the different changes in state laws along with the hotel industry. So you said that hospitality was fun. Our, your job here is fun, right? <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. For those of you who may not be aware, <laughs> I'm the director of the Knowledge Center. So Rosa and Patty work in my department. So I'm glad to hear that you think it's fun, or at least I just <laughs> told you it's fun. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. No, it definitely is. 
Okay, great, great. And as I mentioned, it's disappointing when you think you've hired someone great and then things don't work out. You almost feel betrayed because they gave great answers to the interview questions. They were friendly. They were professional. They checked all your boxes. And then after the offer, they come on board and then things change and their true selves, or you think it's their true selves come out and they're not engaged. They just weren't as friendly or professional as they were during the interview process or, you know, this situation where they have, they come in, they say they know something or they have experience with something and they really don't. They sometimes will make demands for things that really should have been negotiated during the offer stage. I had an example where someone had worked with us and told us that she could work a given schedule. And this wasn't that sure. It was a, a previous job. And when she came on board, she said, sorry, I can't work that schedule now. And we were like, well, wait a minute, you said you could. And then of course we had to to deal with that. So I'm sure that many of our listeners have heard that you shouldn't go by your gut. And that's true. But I think sometimes there are some red flags. And as people who are HR professionals, hiring managers, we need to be able to find those red flags or at least see them. So how do we do that? Patty, what, what do you think that employers fail to do initially when hiring employees? And, and what do you, you know, what should they do when they're trying to find the best candidate for their position? So I believe that workforce planning is critical, and that's a step that is missed the most. So in that process, usually an employer is going to be able to determine what skills are necessary for an employee to be successful in that role. So having those skills decided on, also having a plan in place, and then knowing specifically what the job description entails so that it's clearly articulating the key qualities and attributes that are needed for the job. Yeah, it's funny. I I can recall working for small employers who did not have job descriptions and, you know, many, many don't, but I always think it's a, it's a good idea so that people have in writing the expectations of their positions. And, you know, one of the things that I've heard before from people are, my job description doesn't say that I need to do that. (laughs) And so, you know, that kind of falls under that quote, other duties as assigned, that's often found on the job descriptions. But yeah, it's it's interesting to know that there are employers that just don't have the job descriptions or have done any kind of workforce planning. So Rosa, where, where would one go or start to find out how to do this workforce planning process? Yeah, that's a good question. And actually, uh, SHRM has some really good toolkits that are available to our SHRM members that can get someone started in the process, especially if you're new to it. Uh, I think, as Patty said, a lot of times we miss those steps and the toolkits can be a really good starting point. We also offer a training course too for workforce planning. That might be something that members would be interested in in taking to learn more about workforce planning as well. Yeah. And I think that non-members may be eligible for that also. So that's, um, that's great. But the, the point being is that, you know, we have resources. I'm sure there are many resources out there with regards to workforce planning and how to get started in that process. But as you said, Patty and Rosa, it's important to, to know what you're looking for 
if you don't know what you're looking for, you're not going to be able to find that that great employee. So now that our listeners know, you know, about they've got to find the right positions, then they're ready to start looking for people. And we know that many employers will just, you know, post a job and you would like to think that voila, you get hundreds of <laughs> resumes. Some employers do, but, you know, unfortunately, it doesn't always happen where employees or employers will post a job and and that perfect candidate just comes walking in the door and they're the first applicant that you get. So it's really not that easy, even though we, we hope it could be, right? Even during the pandemic, it's been even more of a struggle for employers to find employees and where they post and, and where they go to find uh, new talent. So when when the resume gets in the hands of a recruiter or hiring manager, Rosa, what types of red flags should they um, should they look out for? Yeah, so I think that recruiters, when they're getting the resume, really taking the time to review the resume. And some things that I have seen in the past are employment gaps that are unexplained. Uh, I know now we have a lot of candidates coming through that you know, maybe do have shorter employment due to the pandemic and things that happen. So again, I say unexplained um, employment gaps, patterns, you know, is there someone that's only working in jobs three months at a time, um, inconsistency with dates, you know, how is it laid out? Because that's really, they're presenting themselves to you and that's putting their best foot forward vague job descriptions. Um, Also, if there's lots of typos and mistakes in there, those may be red flags. And my favorite one is the unprofessional email. Oh, tell tell us about that unprofessional email. I'm curious. (laughs) I can't recall a a specific example, but maybe just sticking to the name and not having um, inappropriate words in your your email address. uh, Maybe... Oh, okay. Yes. You know, it reminded me of, I can remember some that I received that had the word sexy in it. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, why didn't they change their email address or use something different? You know, when I was younger, I was just out of college and I had roommates and we put a (sighs) funny voicemail message on our answering machine. And I can remember looking for a job thinking, oh, I've got to change that because I don't think that they'll want to hear the theme to three's company on our, our voicemail. <laughs> so it wasn't email. It was, it was the voicemail at the time that kind of, I guess, shows my age. But, you know, let's say that everything does look great on paper and you decide to bring them in for an interview. What can employers do to ensure that their candidate is the right one for the job? Yeah, so first, don't rely on your gut. Uh, you have to hire on facts. So an employer needs to be having a structured interview process using behavioral questions to determine who's the right candidate. Also, don't sugarcoat or lie to what the job really entails so a candidate really knows what is expected of them. So for the listeners who may not be familiar with this, can you just tell them what does a, what is a behavioral interview question? Well, those are questions that are going to try to determine if an employee has work examples where they would be able to effectively do the job. So they have the experience 
that would allow them to have that trait that you're looking for, for the right candidate. Yeah, I used to hear also that it's those questions that get answers that are not the yes or no questions. <laughs> those are those are easy, those open-ended questions. Yeah. That's right. Well, and I really think that you can you can see in the answer if they've had that experience, right? They're not struggling. They can pinpoint something that happened in their career. For example, can you tell me about a stressful situation that happened at work or, or a project, uh, things like that, that can really help get a feel if they've had that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about other peer interviews? I know for us in the Knowledge Center, we do kind of peer interviews, if you will, for the knowledge advisors. We have our applicants do a job preview so that they could see what the job is about. And that's with another knowledge advisor. What has been your experience either doing those here with SHRM or outside of SHRM with your other employers? Well, I've done that in other companies where we did peer interviews. We also did group interviews. So those kind of help to have more eyes on who's going to be the best higher. It's less likely to have issues when you have more individuals that are, are looking for that those same character traits that are going to be important for that job. How about you, Rosa? I think, you know, having that hands-on experience, the, the job preview is really important because sometimes it can't be explained in an interview and, and then that candidate can really get a feeling for what they can expect. And like you said, it's really important to be transparent. I, I think a lot of times where employers go wrong is they want this candidate so badly, but it could be that they're not the right fit too. So you want the agreement on both sides that this is the right fit. Yeah, absolutely. I And I, I'm sure our listeners who have heard our podcast before have heard me say this, but I give the candidates the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I tell you all to do the same thing if you are doing a shadow with them, because I really want them to make an informed decision about working for us, just as we're making an informed decision about them working for us. We have to be the right employer for them sure. as well. It could be disappointing for them and for us if they leave a job that they've been with for a long time and come on board and decide this really isn't the right fit for them. So I do agree that uh, it shows them what the job is. I also find, too, that they become very comfortable with the person that they're doing the shadow with, a little bit more comfortable than they would be in an interview. And so then we're able to find out you know, additional information just based on questions or conversations that they've had with the person that they're doing the job interview with or job preview with. And just on the the peer interview or or job shadow job interview, however you want to call it, be careful not to have that individual working because you will have to pay them. That's a tricky thing. They're really supposed to just be there watching, observing, asking questions, sharing that information with the peer uh, who they're doing the job preview with. But I can remember a company I worked for and the owner wanted to have not one, but two job shadows with two different people, which was a lot of time for the applicant. I didn't necessarily agree with that, but this is what the owner wanted. And he wanted them to work. 
And I said, no, <laughs> no, no, they're not there to work. They're there to just observe and make sure that this is the right fit for them. And we did. We had people who would call us back and say, I want to be paid for those two shifts that I worked there, even though it was supposed to be just a job preview. So that was a bit of a struggle for me in that position, but we did we did work it out with legal counsel and how we could make sure that people were not working and and were not paid for that particular time. And we actually were able to scale back and not have them stay so long because they actually stayed about eight hours on each each time, which was wow. way, wow. way too much. Yes. That's a lot. There's a reason why we had a high turnover originally before, <laughs> before I started working there. So uh, what about the culture? How do you share that with the the applicants or how do you know if they're a good cultural fit? I think the way someone's interacting with the interviewee, also during the job preview that can come out, you can tell in the communicate. I think it's just through the communication and what they're asking and someone that's not saying much probably isn't going to be a fit. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Patty? Seeing if a candidate has those character traits that fit well within the organization already. So do they have what aligns with the company's values and um, guiding principles that are already established? And, and usually you could probably get that from talking with a candidate, um, just like what Rosa was, was stating, to see if they would, would like working at the company. Yeah, absolutely. I think too, the the reasoning for someone taking a job or, or applying for a position is another good indicator as to whether or not this is someone who would be a good fit or if they're just looking for something to tide them over until they're able to find the job that they really want. I think I'm sure many of our listeners have had that situation where someone has applied and you know they they sell themselves to the organization and they say how much they want to work for the company but then you know there's other indicators maybe something you know what they said about their their 5 year 10 year goals or what their interests are that are different than what the job actually entails and then that's when I tend to start asking additional questions to just make sure that, you know, this is what they're looking for long term. You know, for instance, with the knowledge advisor role, I will share that there's not a lot of opportunity to move up within the department per se. And so if someone comes in and they say, well, I want to be a VP within a year of employment, I can say to them, well, not necessarily in this particular department. However, there may be opportunities elsewhere within the company. And so, you know, you really have to to make sure that you're listening in on some of those answers and, you know, some of the things that they say and ask those follow-up questions to, to make sure that the job is right for them and they're mm-hmm. right for us. So let's just say you decided on this one and you want to get them in as quickly as possible because we know nowadays and even before people want people fast as quickly as they can for the most part. So what steps do employers often miss when trying to get a job filled too quickly? What do you think, Patty? Well, let's see. Not recruiting for the actual skill, but focusing more on experience So, you know, making sure that you're doing that, not making offers contingent upon background checks and reference checks, 
uh, making sure they're doing their due diligence to to check on the candidate first uh, and make sure that that person is the right hire. Uh, looking for behaviors that would hinder a good working environment, you know, kind of going back to what some of those things, those red flags, making sure that we're looking at that. Yeah. I, I get members a lot of times that call in and they will say, well, we want to resend the offer. Um, and it's after the offers already been extended to an employee and they are doing it based on some information they found that could have been determined before extending that offer or, or having that contingent offer at least in place to allow that. So, you know, it's interesting. I was listening to a radio show on my way to work and they were talking about a situation where someone had taken a job, they had relocated and the employer decided to rescind the offer. Ooh. And I wanted to call <laughs> in so badly because the, the, the DJ was saying they can't do that. And of course, as an HR professional, I, you know, I'm listening to people calling in and giving advice that was not appropriate. And I, I held back though. I did not, I did not call. I almost wanted to, but, um, but I didn't. And so I think what some people may not know is that when you rescind offers, uh, that could be a legal risk for the employer, depending on the situation. There's something called promissory estoppel, where if someone has made a promise of, of something, so in, in a case where they have left their job, they've been promised to get a certain job, certain pay, starting a certain date, and they've had a financial issue as a result of making the change based on that promise, then they could potentially sue the employer under the promissory estoppel and you know the employer may have to pay. So rescinding offers is is risky. I know that we at Sherm have information regarding that, but we usually tell employers or members to you know review the information that we provide, but also check with legal counsel just to see what the risks are in their particular situation. Every every situation is different, and that's something that employers need to look at. So let's talk about that other duties as a sign that I mentioned. What does that mean? Does it mean that my employer can tell me to do anything and I have to do it? Marissa? So an employer can have, um, generally will have job duties that are pretty detailed or can hit onto the major parts of a job. And then those other duties, an employer can can really ask an employee to do things that are generally related to the position, but it doesn't limit to, for example, when I worked in the hotel industry, when we had what was called all hands on deck and the front office agents were assigned to come help in the banquet hall. And that was relative because that was what was happening and um, we needed that assistance. So, an employer can ask an employee to do uh, different duties, but from an employee relations standpoint, they're going to want to stay on point to what is relative to that job. Patty, any um, additional thoughts? I think that an employer can pretty much ask anything that's due for the business, as long as it's not illegal. You're not asking an employee to be put in harm's way or in danger. You know, if they need someone to dump the trash, you know, and that's not in your job duties, that would be something that would be part of that all duties as assigned. 
Yeah, I guess it depends on how they're dumping the trash, right? We don't want to, <laughs> if they're not in a, if they have to do something that's not in a, you know, a safety issue, as Rosa mentioned. But I feel like within the last year, we've all had those other duties as assigned, just mm-hmm. with the pandemic <laughs> and all of the various projects and, and things that we've worked on. I think all of us can say that we've we've definitely done more than our job descriptions, but I don't know that I say no <laughs> too often to anything that I have to do, unless it, like you said, it was not safe, if it was illegal, if it's unethical, you know, those might be times where I might say, no, sorry, I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, going to be willing to do that. So um, let's talk about hiring because I know in my career, I've been in HR for over 20 years and I was responsible for hiring in most of my positions. And I can remember hiring for positions that I had no idea what those jobs actually (laughs) were. And I was young and didn't really know what questions to ask of the managers. I was just at the time given the job description and the hours and the pay and said, you know, fill this job. And so what has your been your experience? Because I, I know just for myself that does not work. The the person who is hiring, who's recruiting, they really need to know what that job is about so they could speak to it accurately and clearly to the potential candidate. So have you had something similar? I have um, in certain positions where uh, like on the manufacturing floor, when I was working for a manufacturer, and not knowing actually what they, what the employees did, I would observe and kind of look and see, you know, kind of watch what their job entailed. And then also working with the hiring manager to kind of go over what, give me a, a run by of what, what an employee does on a day-to-day basis, just to kind of get a better feel of what the job entailed. And I, have had a similar experience. I think if you're a recruiter, it really is your job to to go and find out what you're hiring for. It doesn't mean you have to be an expert on it, but go like Patty said, um, you know, go to the manufacturing floor. I was in hotels, so I went up to the rooms to find out what are the room attendants doing? What are the stewards doing? And I think too, you'll find that the employees appreciate that. And which leads to them also giving you referrals for your hires. So, um, you know, bonding with the staff and showing them that you care about who, who you're bringing in, I think is important. Yeah, absolutely. And those referrals are important. Many employers do have those employee referral programs, especially now with the, you know, we're calling the resignation tsunami or turnover tsunami. Uh, and that difficulty in recruiting talent right now. So many employers are actually using those employee referral programs and and they could be great. Just as long as you're not hiring uh, one demographic over the other, you have to be careful about discrimination issues uh, when you're bringing people into the organization who happen to be friends of one person or family members of one person, things like that. You want to make sure that it, well, it's in compliance with your company's policies for one, but also not creating any kind of uh, discrimination issues. Yeah. So let's talk about interviewing. And we know that some people are really good at interviews and some people are not. I know that I've interviewed several people who, when they came to the interview, 
they were chewing gum during the interview process and just it was very unprofessional, their demeanor, even though they were giving great answers. I've had people who were so nervous that they were almost tongue tied, but they were great people. It's just they were, you know, nervous in that process. So how do you differentiate between the ones who will be good employees and the ones who might not be the right fit when it comes to the interviews? I think going back to those behavioral interview questions is going to be helpful in this part. So not so much relying on what the actions that you're seeing from an employee, but relying more on their experience of what they would have to offer and looking at those areas. How about you, Rosa? This is a tough one. Um, I feel like, you know, are there things that they're doing that really are deal breakers? Is it, I mean, it might depend on what the job is. If it's a job that entails a lot of stress and they can't even do an interview, you know, maybe they wouldn't be the right candidate. If it's something, sometimes I think there is a little bit of digging in there. You know, maybe you are telling them to take the gum out (laughs) during the interview and they say, I'm so sorry, I'm so nervous. And is there a point during that interview where you can help to make them comfortable? Say, oh my gosh, like you you know, I'm sorry that you're not feeling comfortable. What can we do to make this a better experience? Um, that way you can start asking the questions and is it where they're sitting or maybe changing, hey, let's go outside. So I think that maybe we can help the interviewee since it is easy to be on our side asking the questions. We've all been there. I remember my first time interviewing and I was an absolute mess. And I was lucky enough to have someone to give me a few pointers to help me have a better interview too. So I think it really depends. I think that's good advice. I know that when candidates come in or or they have come in in other positions that I've worked in over the years, I have said to them, or they've said to me, oh, I'm nervous. Or, you know, they've, they said, you know, I, I just, I want to make sure that I'm, you know, making a good impression. And, and so if I've noticed that they seem nervous, I'll just say, I'll, I'll just make it, make them a little bit more relaxed and, and, and speak to them in a way that is just more conversational, like we're speaking right now. Or like you said, I have, you know, moved from out, outside my desk and maybe sat at a round table where we might be a little bit closer together and having a conversation versus me sitting across this big desk at this individual. Um, yeah, I think there's definitely things that we as hiring managers and recruiters can do to make sure that the applicants feel comfortable during the interview process. And I, I've also found too that bringing them in for a second interview Sometimes they're a little bit more relaxed after the first interview, and then they start to come out of their shell a little bit more during the second interview um, because now they're familiar with where the building is, where their parking is, you know, all of those things that you get nervous about when you go to to do an interview. Am I going to find the right person, the right room? Uh, you know, I can remember I was parked on the side of a street and it was meter parking and my interview was going past the two hour limit and I was so afraid. And in the middle of the interview, I had to say to them, I'm parked on the street. I just want to make sure that my car doesn't get towed. And they actually allowed me to go down and move my car and come back up to finish the interview. So there's things that we can do to help help that situation. 
I wouldn't decline someone right off the bat just because they were nervous during an interview. Unless, like you said, Rosa, it's, you know, a stressful job that that might not be a good quality to have if they're very nervous. You know what else gets bad interviews is when the candidate brings in their family or their friends and there's like five people and there's just, it happens all the time in hotels. I'm like, can you guys wait outside? We're, we're going to have a conversation. <laughs> but keeping in mind that if it's someone who has a disability and may need an accommodation that they may need True. somebody there with them. So you've got to be think it was, careful. No? <laughs> Maybe they were a congratulatory group that when they came out of the interview, if they got the job, they would be there to cheer them on or to hug them if it didn't go well. Okay, um, Amber. The, the support group. <laughs> <laughs> a friend group, yes. All, or all. or a helicopter parent. Uh, True. Remember True. the helicopter parents that would go to the yes. the job interview? I would get or, calls from the parents as to why they're why didn't you hire? I, I'm like, who am I talking to right now? I, you know, I had no idea that it was about a candidate. But yeah, I've had that same thing where a parent has called and just said, yelling "Why at didn't me. you hire yeah. my child?" Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I've even had that when they come in, why did you terminate? Yes. Oh, my yeah. yes. Yeah. I had a mother meet me after work oh at night. Oh, wow. Yes. Waiting for me to get off work. Yeah. Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> yeah. Did that end well? It, it, yes, it did. But she was like screaming and upset. And, and I was like, you don't know the whole story. You don't know what took place or what you're only hearing one side of the story. Right. Of course. The kid's not going to tell his mom what happened. Right. Wow. Yeah. It did end okay. But that's a little scary, though, to be confronted with at night. Yeah. Yeah. At night. Yeah. When you're walking out. Yeah. Great. Rosa and, and Patty, what experiences have you had where you've interviewed someone and you hired them and then they became that bad employee that we talked about? They were problematic. You know, what What were the red flags or, you know, in retrospect, what could you have identified or, or what would you have asked of them? And, you know, what, what was the situation? So anytime when I'm thinking back, um, it's usually when we needed someone really quickly, which is a standard thing in hospitality. <laughs> high, sometimes there's high turnover. We need it. We need someone. We need someone. Um, a warm think, body. A warm is what body. Used to say. <laughs> yes, we need a warm body. I mean, as a recruiter, you kind of cringed when you heard that term. But when you're working with multiple departments, there was you're being pulled in different directions. You know, rushing through the interview process, not. Asking um, schedules were a big thing because it's a 24-7 operation. So not really listening to the candidate when they're when they maybe said they weren't available during certain times. What would happen was we'd look at the experience and be like, great, they have hotel experience, and then just not go through all the candidates too, not really evaluating or giving it the time. So we're rushing on the front end of it. And then spending more time on the long term, because if anyone has had a bad hire, you're coaching and counseling, retraining because they're not the right fit. So asking specific questions uh, in those behavioral questions about experience that they had, I think it's really 
clear when you take the time on the front end, whether someone has done the job or not. So it was more of the rushing that Mm -hmm. led to those higher, I hate saying bad hires, but uh, hires that weren't a right fit. Yes. And I think the rushing part is it happens often. You know, we're like I said before, we're so quick to want to get someone in the door that we don't take a moment to really think about, you know, what was said, their experience, their knowledge, you know, everything in the interview process to determine whether or not that person is the right fit because we just want to get that person in the door quickly. And with that also too is not listening to the candidate where Mm. the recruiter is so gung-ho on, I got to fill it, I got to fill it. They're doing so much more talking. They probably don't even remember what the candidate said, but yes. So that can be something that happens. I'm guilty of that. I know. Me too. That's terrible. (laughs) I'm sorry. I do try to actively listen, and but sometimes, and it depends on who I'm speaking with, if they're talking in a monotone voice, I mm-hmm. tend to just just drift off <laughs> and I sure. don't hear what they're saying. And that's terrible, but I admit it. I, that's what I do sometimes. So if you, if you all ever see me at work and I drift off, you know, <laughs> you know what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Patty? Have you had uh, an experience of, like this? Yes, I've had plenty. Plenty? Too many. <laughs> You've had too many. I've had too many. I was in retail and I and I have the same experience that Rosa had where you were you were always understaffed and you're always trying to recruit and and I spent almost probably 80% of my day was recruiting and just continuously interviewing. So I, I think not listening, right, and, and paying attention to actually the questions that I was giving and what those answers were, I think I would have been, I would have made better choices had I not been rushed and trying to fill the quota, mm-hmm. um, just paying attention more to what actually I needed. Yeah, you you reminded me, I I used to work for Hex department stores and it's not around anymore. So I think I can talk about (laughs) it. Uh, I can remember I was an HR assistant and the process at the time was you interview them on the spot. And if the divisional manager was available to do a second interview, they could actually be hired on the spot. And that was to get them in there as quickly as we could. And as you can imagine, with that type of a process, we were so fast that we didn't pay attention and we ended up having a lot of people coming in and a lot of people going out. So mm-hmm. it Ooh. definitely did not work. Maybe it worked to get them in there quickly, but then we spent a lot of time onboarding training and then having them leave shortly after because they just weren't the right fit for the job. And even think about that for the candidate standpoint, they don't even have it. A- They'll say yes, but they don't even have time to process what's happened to see if they have an emotional connection to the job or so that would be really hard. Well, and I do have to share one more funny thing about (laughs) this job. So before I started working at Hex in HR, I can remember going in for, I was shopping and I decided to fill out an application. And at the time, again, my age, 
they did not, they had paper applications in, right. in the room. <laughs> and I filled out the application, not knowing that I was actually going to be interviewed on the spot. Well, I was shopping and I was wearing jeans and a t-shirt and I had my bags. And all of a sudden I was asked to sit and stay for an interview. And I interviewed with the HR manager and I was not selected to move forward with the position. I was disappointed by that. And I was not you know, told why, as many people are not told why mm-hmm. they were not selected. But, um, well, there was a part where he said something about me wearing jeans and said, you should not have come in jeans for the interview. And I said, I didn't know that I was going to be interviewed. <laughs> and I never forgot that. And then later, I decided to apply again. And that gentleman was not there any longer. He was at a different store. I was hired to work in handbags and accessories. And then I moved into HR. And when I became an HR manager like him, and I saw him at a meeting, I said, do you remember me? And he didn't, of course, because they interview a lot of people. And I said, I was the one that you said shouldn't have come in in jeans and you didn't move forward with me. And isn't that funny that we're at the same level right now? (laughs) (laughs) So it was it was kind of my, you know. Uh, you you should have overlooked the fact that I was in jeans and um and right. you didn't move forward with me. But again, you know there could have been another reason. It wasn't the right time, maybe. Well, and that kind of shows the communication too, right? Mm-hmm. So why didn't whoever took your application say, "Hey, she was shopping"? I figured since she was here, you know, to give the heads up to the HR person, which we all know HR is the last to know. Well, again, what's funny is that was the process back then. So um, yeah, that's just how it was. Um, But I I always thought that was a funny story. You've you've given our listeners much to think about. Um, We've come to the end of our show. And as a reminder, today is part one of our mini series on the technical competency, HR expertise, talent acquisition, when good hires become bad employees. And this podcast is approved to provide recertification PDCs, but only if you listen to the full mini series. And if you haven't already, please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. And be sure to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to reach out to me. You can find me on Twitter at Sherm A. Clayton. I'm also on LinkedIn if you search Amber Clayton. And if you'd like to learn more about Honest HR or get additional information and resources on what was discussed in today's episode, head on over to sherm.org backslash Honest HR. And to learn more about other Sherm podcasts, check out sherm.org backslash podcasts. Thanks again for joining us on Honest HR, and we look forward to you joining us on part two. This episode is sponsored by Greenhouse. The hiring landscape, it's changed dramatically. With top talent seeking better opportunities and increased focus on DE&I, companies have to change how they hire. And for recruiters, it's never been more important to have effective tools that make hiring easier and more inclusive. Greenhouse makes companies great at hiring by using a structured, data-driven approach that reduces bias, improves collaboration, and delivers better hiring results. Discover how Greenhouse can help you hire for what's next at greenhouse.io.